Hello and welcome to another and very special episode of Real Time, brought to you by CREA, the Canadian Real Estate Association. I'm your host, Erin Davis, and while yes, I do tend to call all of our episodes special, I assure you this one's something else. Our very first live recorded episode. That's right, I sat down with our guest, Lital Marome, at CREA's 2023 Leadership Summit in Ottawa. Board and association leaders from all across Canada. The place was packed, and what a conversation we had. So, about our guest. Lital is one of today's top business strategists and visionaries. As the world of business changes, she's right there with it, helping companies disrupt themselves before it's simply too late. Live on stage, Lital and I focused on how organizations can reimagine the way they do business. We talked about mindset shifts, data, exploring new business models, all the good stuff. If you'd rather watch our chat, Head over to crea.ca slash podcast or visit Crea's YouTube page and click the real-time podcast playlist. So let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Lital Marom. Lital, welcome and thanks for being part of our very first live podcast. And we are so excited to have you now. With all of that, is there anything we missed in your bio today? Oh, this was pretty impressive. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we might have left out engineer and entrepreneur, though. Engineer as well? Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It all started there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You currently run two companies, each with a unique value proposition with Unfold. You help businesses reimagine themselves for growth and scale, unlocking their business potential. And then with the Academy of Tomorrow, you help managers gain the skills they need to be successful in the future of work, unlocking the human potential of their business. Is this kind of the magic recipe for an organization to thrive, investing in both the business and the human potential of your company? What's the relationship here? So, yeah, I think we need both to basically create a holistic approach to innovation I'd say that the relationship between investing in your business potential and in human potential is symbiotic. So they depend on each other, and we need to invest in both. And we need to invest in both if you really want to achieve sustainable transformation, sustainable success. Um, You know, if you look at the business potential, business potential means basically what are the goals for the company when it comes to innovation, when it comes to growth, when it comes to efficiency. And everything that affects your business potential are usually external forces. So it can be market trends, it can be customer trends, um, technology trends, regulatory trends, everything that's external to the business that affects the business potential. Mm -hmm. When we look at the human potential, here we're talking about how do we build the capabilities for for our employees? How do we build the skills for employees? How do we give them the right knowledge, equip them with the right skills? And here, when we're talking about human potential and employees' potential, we're looking at all the internal things that affect them. It's your leadership. It's the culture of the organization. The culture of the organization really sets the tone of the organization, right? Mm -hmm. It really affects whether your employees are inspired or motivated. So all those internal things. So what happens when you have a company that has a very strong business potential? It can then invest in its employees. It invests, it builds them up, it gives them, keep a bit, uh, you know, upskill, upskilling them. 
And then when employees feel that someone takes care of them, someone invests in them, they are equipped, they are more inspired, they create more value. When you have more value, the company can realize its potential. So you get this virtuous cycle when you invest in both. That's the point. And that's why I think it's super important uh, to create this virtuous cycle that creates growth and scale and, you know, over time. Um, I, use, I run these companies separately, but interestingly enough, now finally, it took a, a while, in my keynotes I talk about both, because people are finally understanding you can't separate them. Your people are the kernel of your organization. Mm-hmm. The business potential comes after. If you don't invest in your people, you know, you, you won't be able to realize your business potential. So what is the number one important skill that leaders need to focus on today in order to prepare for tomorrow? So, you know, we live in a world of constant change, right? Mm -hmm. Everything is constantly changing. Technology is constantly advancing. And every company today is a technology company. So every company today is a technology company. Um, Now, during the first years of the pandemic, we all talked about resiliency. Yeah. Resiliency means we want to deal well with a crisis. Mm-hmm. So we need to bounce back. But now we need much, much more than that. You know, now we need to bounce forward. So I think the most important skill is adaptability. And adaptability means that you have this learning agility to be able to apply, to, to transform your, to, to learn what you need to, to do and Turn it into action when you're dealing with a crisis, when you're dealing with pressure. And adaptability is a meta skill. It's not just a skill because it includes many things. It's including, you know, learning agility. It includes um, emotional flexibility. It includes openness. All the critical things that leader, uh, any leader needs or any person that wants to be successful in a world that's constantly changing needs. Um, so, yeah, when you, ha- when you have adaptability, then when you're under pressure, you can respond in a calm way and then use your curiosity as a driving force for change. And that's why it's important. Is adaptability, agility, are they learnable skills? Yes, absolutely. I think, I think any skill is learnable. Some people obviously have, can, can do better than others, but you can learn anything. We can learn anything. That's, that's exactly... The era that we're in, you have to be a lifelong learner. Mm-hmm. Learning is the most important thing today. When everything around you is constantly changing, if you're not keeping up, if you're not constantly investing in learning and growing, you're going to stay behind, or you're actually going to go backwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's how bad it is right now. If you're not moving forward, yes. you're moving backwards. Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> so we've talked about the importance of innovating, of finding new ways to exceed your customers' needs, of looking yeah. beyond the boundaries of your business to new markets. But what is it that you see, Littell, that holds traditional companies back? Like, why aren't all companies exploring new and more disruptive, for lack of a better word, business models? There are many reasons, but really if you kind of take the layers, you know, go through the layers, at the kernel of it all is fear. We're all afraid of technology, not all afraid of technology, but it can be that you're afraid of technology because you don't really understand it and maybe it's going to take over your job. Maybe it's a fear of digital transformation. You don't know how to digitize the business and you'll end up wasting time and money. And maybe you're just afraid of change. We're creatures of habit. We right. don't like change, right? right? Or failure. Nobody really likes to fail. 
Or when we're talking especially about legacy brands, it's control. Maybe you're going to lose control. You're, you're, you're used to operating in a very um, predefined environment, very stable environment. When, things, when you're trying things that haven't been proven yet, you might lose control. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of fear going on. But the thing is, you know, we need to understand that fear is a very important tool. Fear helps to keep us safe. So right. if you're standing and there's a lion in front of you, you're probably going to get really scared and run away. And that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> but if we're confronted with things that aren't life-threatening and we don't take any chances to change our situation, then fear is working against us and not for us. And that's, that's the problem. And then when it works against us, it can completely deplete us from our energy, from our power, from our life source, force. And it can get us stuck and keep us stuck. So the most important thing is, and we all have fear, you can never get rid of fear, is to take all the energy that it holds, and it holds a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. We spend a lot of energy thinking about our fears and thinking about what we're scared of in life. It can be personal, professional, both. You want to use that energy to push you forward, not push you back. And, and really ask yourself, how can I turn this around? How can my life be greater, my business greater? How can I contribute more? Focus on what you want, not on what you don't want. And I know it sounds very simple, but still, most people focus all their energy and their time on what they don't want instead of what they want. So when we're looking at fear, you know, just as we have goals and we set goals and we have a strategy, how do I achieve these goals? You want to have the same strategy for fears. So you have a fear. Decide, what am I afraid of? Really write it down, all the things you're afraid of. What will happen if I'll take action? And it's not just that one thing. So let's say I'm afraid to start my own business, mm -hmm. and I'm afraid because I'll lose my house, I'll lose money, blah, blah, blah. But maybe there's more things. Write everything down. And then write the list of all the things that you'll gain by just trying. And you'll be surprised that when you just try to confront your fear, there's, there are usually a lot of benefits beyond just achieving that one top goal. So in the case of, let's say I'm afraid of starting my own business, mm -hmm. if I'll try, I'll learn new skills. I'll expand my network. I'll learn that I can do some things on my own. I'll discover things about myself, which I will never discover if I wouldn't take that chance. And also think, okay, when I'm trying to combat my fears, what, what can I do if something goes wrong? So be realistic, right? Like have some backup plans, have some strategies. And the most important thing, you know, I always say, you, you know, you want to integrate fear, not eliminate it. You can't eliminate fear. Fear is part of life. It's always going to be there, and it's there to actually tell you how you can get out of your comfort zone into the world of opportunities. You can kind of see it as this linear thing. You're stuck in your comfort zone in the small avoidant, <laughs> you're avoidant, and you're in a small world of your comfort zone. You're not trying new things. You're just stuck there. Mm -hmm. Here is the land of opportunities. Here is the land of you trying new things and exceeding your, and, and, you know, really unlocking your potential. To get from here, from your comfort zone to the land of opportunities, you have to go through fear. You have to go often through pain. That's how it works. So, so really understanding that, I think it's so important. And, you know, I think if everyone kind of stops for a minute and thinks, think to himself, him or herself about all your defining moments in life, I bet you they all had fear involved. And then you overcame that fear, and then you found, you, you unlocked something really big in your life. So that's the most important thing. All strategies, everything else comes later. 
But this is the bottom line of unlocking potential in anything. I hear what you're saying, and there's a lot, so much to unpack in there. And one of the things that's going through my head is, do you drive? Yeah. Okay. When you're skidding, instead, you're, you're supposed to steer into the skid rather than, you know, always look to where you want to be and, and let the skid take care of itself yeah. instead of going, oh, my God, and then, and then it's all over, yeah. right? So yeah. let's talk about failure when you're in the skid, when you've gone into the ditch. How can failure fuel you? So I think failure has also a very important role when we're talking about unlocking potential and succeeding in life. Failure is basically showing you that you're one step closer to success. Failure is part of success. Failure is not the opposite of success. Most people think, okay, there's success and then there's failure. They're opposites. They're not. Failure is part of success. We need to fail. We need to experience different things in order to get closer to success. And when it comes to companies, I say that a lot. I think we should, you know, some companies have, for example, this Fail Fridays. Fail Fridays. <laughs> okay, I like that. I'm in. Exactly. So you just, you just get together. Everybody shares their failure so you can learn. Because, you know, if you think about it, when is learning happening? When you reflect on your experiments, when you reflect on your actions, and when you reflect on your failures. Reflection is a very important part of learning. It's not just learning new skills, it's also reflecting. How do I use that? How, how, how are things different? How do I apply that? How is this going to make things different? Reflection is a very important thing. And reflecting on your failures is a fundamental part of any learning process and growth. I've heard you say in, in one of your talks that there are some companies that want to know how many companies you have. If you say, oh, I'm starting a company, well, how many have you already started? And the list of the ones that didn't work actually works in your favor because what does that tell that potential investor? Yeah, yeah, so I was saying, um, so I'm originally from Israel and we have a lot of innovation in Israel. And often in Israel, if you, um, if you say, that you have a startup and, and it's really successful, then people assume, okay, there's a backstory of how many times you failed until you got to this point. And if you don't have that story and you say, no, it's my first startup and it's going well, people are really suspicious. Mm. They're like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> like, really, that's your first startup and you're already successful? Hmm. Something, something must be wrong here. <laughs> so it's, it's really like expected that you'll say, I failed, I tried this, I failed, and now I landed on this, and it's going really well. Why is it important to actively challenge yourself to think differently rather than resting on those laurels, those successes? I mean, you've talked about the Failure Friday. To imagine how your business might be operating rather than looking at all the awards on your walls. Why, why is that important, Lital? So, you know, before the pandemic, we've seen a lot of companies that were doing really well but then, when COVID happened, they went bankrupt. Why? Because they focus only on one thing. They only focus on operational excellence, only focusing on the things that are going really well right now in their business. Mm. But then when a crisis happens, when something unexpected happens, then they go bankrupt because they're not prepared. So innovation is not just responding to external forces, it's also being prepared for challenges, bring also unlocking new potential, unlocking new opportunities. So I think companies should operate on two verticals, exploiting their existing business that's going really well, obviously, 
and then also investing in the future of their business so that they're prepared. When a crisis happens, when something happens, you already have a plan. And aside from that, even putting aside all you know, crises and, and major things that can disrupt your business, yeah. I still think, you know, we think about it, innovation is just running a good business. If you continuously invest in your business, you unlock new opportunities, you unlock new uh, revenue streams, you're running a successful business. You know, you can strengthen your relationship with your customers when you do that. You can strengthen the, the you can raise the, the value of your brand because you're adapting to your customers' changing needs, changing behaviors, changing expectations because you're innovating, you're growing, you're giving, you're improving your customers' lives. Super important. So it's, it's only, it can only benefit the, uh, the business. And if anybody is not realizing that after all the, crazy, uh, you know, uh, failures that we've seen with so many big successful companies, then, then you're missing a big point of running a successful business. It's not just harvesting what's going on, what's going well right now. It's always investing in the future of your business, whether there's a crisis or not. That's called building a sustainable business. Okay, you talked about customers there. So let's move to the other side of the operation here and dig deep into consumer journeys. How are companies redesigning their services or tapping into new markets to better serve their customers? Like, if you could share an example of how a company has innovated or expanded based on its understanding of a customer journey. Yeah. So very important to understand, obviously, your customer's journey. And we're seeing a lot of things that companies are doing to accommodate that. Anything from uh, providing personalized services, something that, for example, any e-commerce uh, platform is doing, we're all familiar with Amazon, we buy something, we have this recommendation engine that gives us what we want, other things that can be relevant to us, that's personalization. Same with Netflix, I watch something, then it knows my profile, it recommends things that are relevant. Personalization is a big thing. Uh, we see a lot of omni-channel experiences, so companies that are starting something online, completing it offline, or vice versa. Um, we, have, we see also companies that are really adapting when they're looking at their customer's journey. They're looking at gaps. For example, it could be a luxury car manufacturer that's now providing uh, new offers for more con uh, budget-conscious uh, demographic or younger people, or a beauty company that now has a line for men. You know, so kind of looking for gaps along the customer journey. Um, so that's kind of like in a, in a big picture. Mm -hmm. But overall, if you think about it today, you can't just provide the baseline to your customer. That's not enough. And the problem, the, the reason for it is we're all used to all this big tech companies' level of service, right? Amazon is doing, obviously, an amazing job. And whatever it is that I'm buying from any other provider, even if they're the tiniest company, I'm expecting the same kind of service. Because... Mm -hmm. Amazon does it, you should do it too. I don't care how big you are, but that, that's how it works. So it's, we want it personalized, we want it digitized, we want it instant, we want it to be relevant to us. Don't just give me these general offers, give me something that's relevant to my need that's going to improve my life. Um, so I think the bar is really high, and the most important thing is always to surprise and delight your customer. 
that, that's how you, you can see it, not just giving them the baseline. As far as companies that are doing that, there's a lot of examples. So the example that we're all familiar uh, is LinkedIn. LinkedIn started actually as a social network, just connecting professionals to one another, and then they collected a lot of data to monetize and grow the business. And they realized that in the customer journey, their uh, customers are actually looking to advance their development and their career development. So they started, they added job search options and they added job search premium profile and they understood that building your brand is another key thing as part of your career development. So they allow people to publish articles, to publish media, to get testimonials. Also networking, they, they realize that's also a very important part of your career development. Let's create groups. So all the things that we now take for granted, mm -hmm. these are things that a company that started just as a social network, basically, added to adapt to their customer needs. And there are more interesting examples, because this is an example that we're all familiar, but just to make the point, um, I often talk about companies that come from China, because I think there's a lot of incredible innovation in China. Um, so a company that I often talk about is uh, Pinduoduo, it's an online retailer that's completely changing the rules of online shopping. They're nothing like Amazon. They're nothing like Alibaba. And what happened is that during the pandemic, we all became these online shoppers, right? Mm -hmm. Which is great. But then we, are still, we were still missing going shopping with our friends, having that experience that you can only have offline when you go to a shopping mall or you just walk on the street with your friend. You're having fun and you're shopping which you can't really do when you're just clicking and shopping online. So right. with Pinduoduo, you can do both and online. They introduced the team purchasing model where you can basically buy things according to their listed price like we're used to, or you can uh, team up with friends, and the more friends you team up with, you can unlock more discounts, and you can have fun with your friends online and play different games. So I think Pinduoduo is a really uh, cool example. And they see themselves, you know, kind of like uh, the business that sits between a supermarket where you buy products yeah. and Disneyland or Disney World where you have fun. So they see themselves in between. Uh, their tagline is together, more saving, more fun. So very interesting. They had also a soft launch in the U.S. Uh, last year when Amazon was dipping. So I don't know how successful they will be in, in the U.S., but in North America, but uh, they had a soft launch here as well. Um, Say the name again of the company. Pinduoduo. It's me. Uh, I think Dua is groups in Chinese. Pin Dua Dua. Pin Dua Dua. Okay. <laughs> okay. Why, and they're a perfect example, it sounds like, but why is it so important to find new ways to surprise and delight consumers in, in their lives? Why, why do you think that is? The most important thing when you're in business is to improve your customers' lives. If you're a business owner or if you want to be successful in your business, that's the first thing, the only thing that you should always ask yourself. How do I improve my customers' lives? Not how do I collect more data to sell more. Not how do I add more features and products and services to sell more. How do I create more value that will actually improve my customers' life? Because when you improve your customers' lives, you build a strong relationship with your customers you build a stronger brand. You build retaining, you know, uh, you, you retain your customers. Loyalty. Loyalty, exactly. Right. Uh, so it's, it's the most important thing uh, to do in business. It's, it's, it's why you are in business. Okay. Surprise and delight. I yes. Like that.
Uh, can you explain to me, and this is something that, that you've delved into, and I just love the whole idea of what you call platform thinking, the whole concept. How does a business evolve from a product to a platform? Um, what are the big differences? So a lot of differences. So a platform business model is very different than a classic economy business model. So a classic business model is a very, you have very linear business flow. You create a product or a service. Uh, if it's a product, you package it, and then you sell it down the pipe. It's a very linear flow of business. A platform is almost like a matchmaker. It's, you, can think of, you can think of Amazon, for example, or Uber, or or. Um, uh, Airbnb, all, all the big tech companies are platforms. They're basically uh, matchmakers. They match service providers and users uh, to exchange, so that they can exchange value. And the more, and the, the purpose of a platform is to increase those interactions. So, for example, let's just look at Amazon. Amazon opened its infrastructure. Amazon used to be actually a classic economy company. It used to sell books mm -hmm. directly to customers, and that's it, faster and cheaper. Uh, and then they opened up their platform. They created a platform so that anyone, anywhere can sell anything on Amazon Marketplace. So we've got the service providers. Yeah. And on the other side, we have the users. And Amazon kind of sits in between. It's like a triangle infrastructure. They're empowering those two sides to connect and to exchange value. And that's how they grow also. When we're talking about platforms, we're talking about massive exponential growth. This is why they are all the big tech companies. You can grow so much more than a classic economy company because the value that you create has no limits because the service providers can be anyone, not just your employees. It can be anyone in the world. Mm -hmm. So, and... And that interaction between uh, service providers and users is what's called the network effect. The network effect is really the, I'd say, the core of a platform. That's how a platform go, uh, grows. The network effect means as more users uh, join, the value increases. And it's not increasing because it's a numbers game. It increases because of the interactions between the service provider and the consumer. So, for example, if we look at Airbnb, Airbnb's KPIs for success is not how many people downloaded the app or used the service. That's a numbers game. That's an old school business. Their KPIs for success is how many hosts connected with travelers, how many experience providers connected. As, as there are more connected connections, the value grows. I'll give you another example. So for example, if we look at the App Store. App Store is, a, is also a platform. It empowers software developers to create apps. It empowers them by giving them an SDK, a software development kit. Usually companies where, which empower others to create value provide them something that they can use to create that value. So Amazon provides them with web services, other things. Right. Airbnb provides them with access to uh, groups, photographers. In the case of the App Store, they provide them an SDK. So all these software developers can use the SDK to create apps. So as more and more software developers create apps, for the App Store, and it can be Android or Apple, it doesn't matter. More users want to use those apps because there are more apps. As, because there are more users, more app developers want to create more apps. So users create value for users. That's the network effect. So it's, it's, it's a very different way of growing a business compared to a linear business. That You take one thing and you sell it directly to the customer, as opposed to a platform where you enable the creation of value by others. And those others can be unlimited it's unlimited serv uh, 
merchants on Amazon platform, unlimited users, unlimited drivers on Uber, unlimited riders. It's unlimited, and that's why they're growing massively, and they are dominating our economy. They are. Um, so it's very different. Where is a good place to start when it comes to all of this? Because we, we've talked about so much, so much to take in, especially for <laughs> legacy established organizations or companies. Like, how can you start to integrate an innovative, disruptive mindset into your current approach to business? The most important thing is to start with your people. This is why I mentioned this human potential. You gotta create a culture where people feel free to be themselves, feel free to give their feedback, feel free to participate and share their creative ideas. If you don't have that, you've got nothing. And that's called psychological safety in the company. And that's actually grounded in very deep research uh, conducted by Google. They spent two years with 37,000 people, 180 teams, and looked at what is the number one indicator to create high-performing teams. And the, the answer was psychological safety. We want when people are, when people feel free that they can just be themselves. Okay, let's talk about psychological safety before we go on anymore. Yeah. How do we integrate that? How, how would realtors, for example, if, if you have any ideas about, about how, you know, besides companies like Google, um, where does it fit in with, with company growth on the ground? This is basically the baseline of your culture. It's building a, a culture of innovation and creativity. So it really, it's, it's industry agnostic. It's making sure that people feel free in the company to participate and be themselves. When they feel free to participate and be themselves, then you tab into their creative thinking. And there are different ways to do that. Um, you can, for example, build courage into meetings. Um, something that I often do, uh, you know, when you're a leader, uh, when you have a big team, Often you're really excited about something, so you'll start the meeting by saying, okay, I have the strategy, we're going to do this and this, I'm really, this is, this is going to be great. Anybody has any feedback? So when you start the meeting this way, no one's going to step up and say, this is a terrible idea. Right, like, right. definitely not. Like, what are you talking about? No one's going to do that because you're so excited about it. Right. So what I do um, to really get feedback, get honest feedback, which is so important when you're driving innovation, is say, okay, this is... You know, I'm thinking of going uh, towards this direction, but now what we're going to do is we're going to break the team. It can be 10 people, it can be 20 people, but break them into small teams of three. Three is usually the magic number. Um, Why? It's a long story. <laughs> it's one talk. It's, it's, it's accountability. It's a psychological accountability. Okay. Yeah, but it's a good number because when, when you have three, then... It's not just one dominating the conversation as opposed when you have two. Okay. When you have three, there's accountability. Okay. Um, so we've broken into small groups in, of three. Of All three. Right. And whether in person or you can use Zoom uh, breakout rooms, whatever. Sure. And then you tell them, okay, for the next 10 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, your job is to criticize what I've just said and write everything that I'm not seeing. And you can even give them access to a Google Doc so you can have everything written at the end. And then, very important, is to do a roundtable so that every group shares their feedback. When you're doing this roundtable, which is very important, nobody, no one's going to like water down their thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody has to say something. So everybody wants to say something clever. So everyone's really going to think about how they can criticize and give you constructive feedback. So this is how you build in courage, build in critical thinking into your everyday uh, meetings or strategic meetings that are important for innovation. 
and then you, you gather the feedback, and then you, you, know, you make the decision. But otherwise, just having big meetings with 10 people in the room and asking them to be critical about your ideas, it's probably not going to happen. So, yeah, so it stomps on your wings. Exactly. Yeah. All so, right. so that's an example of uh, building psychological safety, which is so important because, yeah, otherwise you can't tap into creative thinking. I think there are many other things. I think um, cultivating a learning culture, which we talked about at the beginning, is also fundamental if you want to grow uh, and be disruptive. And when I'm talking about a learning culture, you want to see learning as a process, not just an end goal. A lot of the times we think, oh, if I just get that degree, if I just get that job, that's not learning, uh, learning culture. It's basically learning never ends. If you, even if you're a data scientist today, you need to learn about new developments next week, next month, next year. Learning never ends. And often when I talk to leaders about the importance of putting learning at the heart of their organization, I hear, yeah, you know, we're sending our employees to different master classes, workshops to learn new skills, which is great. That's what you need to do to learn new skills. Right. But then they go back to work and they don't apply any of these skills. So also when I talk about the learning culture, I'm talking about learning by doing in the workplace, not just in the workshop. So really through experiments, through trying things, through failure as well, right? Through mm-hmm. discovering what fails so you get closer to success. So understanding that the innovation process is a very, very messy process. It's not a linear process. A lot of people expect it to be linear, and it's not linear. It's never going to be linear. It's a very messy process. You try things, you go back, you change your plan, you try again. It's an iterative process. You invest, you weed out the bad ideas, you invest in the good ideas. It's an iterative process. And you want to have a big vision. You want to know where you're going, but you don't want to have a rigid plan. So many times we work with companies that have such a rigid plan, so many strict hypotheses that they want to prove, that they focus so much on proving those hypotheses than focusing on the big vision where they want to go. So it's important to have this flexibility. That's what I mean. I meant with adaptability. Have this flexibility, agility, when you're growing, when you're trying things. Know where you're going, but adapt your plan constantly to fit the market, to fit your experiments to fit whatever you're discovering along the way. And one more thing uh, to add is when you're looking at innovation, you also want, when we're talking about disruptive innovation, Mm -hmm. you want to see innovation as not just making something better, not just making something more cost-effective or more cost-efficient or just adding a little feature. That's not disruptive innovation. Disruptive innovation is creating something completely transformative. Maybe you're even going to access a new market. Maybe you're accessing a new demographic of customers, starting completely new products and services. You want to think 10x growth, not just 10%. If you're thinking 10% growth, you're probably on the obvious path that everyone else is on. You want to think really big, because when you think really big, you tab into opportunities, you tab into this creative thinking that has no limits. And obviously, you'll try things and and you'll get to where you need to, but you want to think very big. That's, that's, you know, today we have technology, we have AI, we have the tools, we have data, we have everything that can help us mm-hmm. to create very big imaginative things. But the problem is, most of the time, we don't think big. We don't ask big disruptive questions. So when, you're, when you want to innovate, ask yourself, what do you need to know so that the answer that you'll get will completely transform your business, not just improve it, completely transform your business. Because you can get those answers today. That's the difference. We have everything. We need to step up. We need to ask these big, bold questions. 
Yes, the, if I understand you correctly, the, the future and the tech and the present and everything that is there, if we just step past our humanity, not, not drop our humanity, but no. step through the things that hold us back. Exactly, exactly. And use those innate human capabilities like imagination, creativity, curiosity, empathy. That's, that's our power to unlock new value. Thank you. Thank you. And on behalf of Korea and the members who are here today or who are watching, who are listening, uh, I want to thank you so much, Lital Marom, for sharing your insight, your experience, and your openness in opening our eyes today to change, to the future, to how we reimagine ourselves and see past our own limitations to the boundaries of our business. And it's been such a pleasure having you on Real Time. So Thank what's you. next for you, I have to ask. There's Ooh. a great big, there's a whole bunch of think tanky stuff going on in Ottawa right now, and you are sparking like crazy about it. <laughs> what's next? Yeah, I'm working on a few projects I haven't released yet, so I can't share right now, but I'm, uh, yeah, I'm just super busy and loving what I do. Okay, so. and pushing through the fear. Don't yes. be afraid, right? <laughs> yes. You're going to be great. You <laughs> have been great. Ladies and gentlemen, Lee Tal Marom. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Our first live recorded episode of Real Time, the podcast for realtors in Canada. We hope this episode added a little surprise and delight to your day. And more importantly, a little inspiration to reimagine what's possible for your own business. Need more inspiration? Our catalog of real-time episodes has you covered. From marketing tips to cultural trends and more, we've got your insights and resources right here on Real-Time. Real-Time is produced by Alphabet Creative, Rob Whitehead of Real Family Productions, and I'm your host, Aaron Davis. Thanks again for listening. We cannot wait to talk to you or maybe even see you again in person next time on Real Time.